Our scripture reading this morning uh, comes from the Revised Common Lectionary. For those of you who may be familiar with the tradition in, in many churches where the you look at scripture from the lectionary each Sunday and the preacher preaches from that, it's not mandatory. Many preachers prefer to do other topical things and so forth. I happen to be a lectionary preacher, so you're going to get the lectionary text this morning. But in all truth, it's the lectionary text from last week because I got to pick. (laughs) So if any of you went to another church last week, you might have heard these, but I hope that what I have to say about them will add a little something that would be new. So, uh, Melinda? All right, the first reading is from Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through chapter 2, verse 10. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against against us and escape from the land. Therefore, They set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Python and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the river of the bank. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at that river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and set her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughters, Daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. 
she named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Holy wisdom, holy word. The second scripture, re- second scripture reading is from Romans. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Holy wisdom, holy God. This morning's gospel is from Matthew chapter 13 or chapter 16 verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say the son of man is?" And they said, "Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets." He said to them, "But who do you say that I am?" Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is God's word. Thanks. Well, before I talk about anything else, I, I really need to check your homework. How many of you were here at worship last week? Most of you. Good. Okay. You know, as it happens, I was also here last week uh, having uh, come up from Tumwater the day before so that I could attend uh, a production that Nathan, my son, uh, was the music director for of, of Thoroughly Modern Millie. And so I stayed over and came to church with him last Sunday. So I heard what Brad had to say. And he spoke of the value of keeping silence before God, listening for that still, small voice to speak to our hearts. And uh, he admonished us to take just five minutes a day, all throughout the week, 
to stop and let go of our cares and concerns and just be. He suggested the image of uh, letting those busy thoughts and distractions, you know, just kind of move on by like little trains. I prefer the image of of seeing a a quietly flowing stream and my thoughts are paper boats that just kind of drift on by and I let them go with the current. Well, okay. So how many of you were here last week? There aren't as many now that we're here. Okay, of those that were here last week, uh, the rest of you get off on this one. Uh, It's okay. Uh, How many of you spent five minutes every day doing what Brad asked? Hey, all right. Okay, Uh, how many of you did maybe some of the days? Uh Uh-huh, just one day? All right, Uh, I I have recorded this. I will be reporting it to Brad. Of course, he and a bunch of other folks from Aldersgate are on a boondoggle this weekend. And you, as I mentioned, are the faithful ones holding down the fort. And I hope that this message that I have to share with you from that Exodus text will, will be empowering and that you might even want to pass it on to those retreating folks if they're nice, you know. Um, so here it is. What if I were to tell you that you will do something this week that will change the world? Would you believe me? Can you imagine it? Or are you just going to smile politely and say inwardly, yeah, right, sure, you don't know me, do you? Well, two women once made a decision. Uh, they took a chance, they, and in doing so, they changed the world. It was kind of simultaneously a, a small gesture, but it was a heroic act because it was actually disobeying the powers that be. And because of their act of disobedience, God was able to rescue Israel from slavery and oppression. Now, did you catch their names in that Exodus reading? And Melinda, you don't get to answer this. Do you catch their names? Huh. Got to listen real carefully. Shifra and Pu'ah. Now you remember, right? Those are really unusual sounding names in our ears. And if you haven't known them before, I'm delighted to be able to introduce them to you because I think they have something to teach all of us. Now the beginning of Exodus starts on a really chilling note. A ruler, the pharaoh, wishing to solidify his political base, identifies a common enemy, uh, a scapegoat, to blame for whatever current, uh, you know, problems plague society. Now, we've seen this movie before. In the 1930s, if you recall, some of you won't, um, you know, especially, although not exclusively in Germany, that scapegoat was the Jews, And more recently, it has been, by turns, illegal immigrants, welfare moms, the gays, the undeserving poor, and the Muslims, and, well, you can probably name a few more. One of the chief manifestations of sin is our penchant to to define ourselves over and against 
others, and in the process denying them their essential humanity and their rightful status as beloved children of God. Well, this time around in this Exodus text, it's the ancient Israelites that are being um, so labeled. They get fingered by a pharaoh who has conveniently forgotten that for generations they had been considered allies and even honored guests in the country. Well, it's, it's easy to put that aside because they've thrived so in Egypt that now he feels threatened by the great number of them. So he enslaves them. That's what you do when you feel threatened. And he makes life nearly unbearable in the best of times, and still they multiply. So he turns to even darker means, and he summons those Hebrew midwives. What are their names again? Shifra and Puah. And he tells them to kill all the Hebrew baby boys that they deliver. Apparently he sees that females as absolutely of no account, and that's part of the irony in this story, because it is indeed women, uh, Shifra and Puah, to start with, and and then uh, the Hebrew mom and the sister and Pharaoh's own daughter, and it's all those women that are his complete undoing. So Shifra and Puah refuse to obey Pharaoh's order. They do not kill the boys, and they even lie to Pharaoh, and they say, you know, that they, that they just give birth too quickly uh, before the midwives can even arrive on the scene, and so they, there's nothing they can do. Well, it, it's a courageous act. It's a, it's a civil disobedience, really, and it changes history. For one of those boys that doesn't get killed is spared and will be called Moses, and he will lead the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. We know that story pretty well. He will deliver God's law to the Israelites and bring them to the promised land. And it all starts here with two women who are willing to say no to an act of injustice. I doubt very much that they thought they were changing the world. But they were, by just being faithful, by following the dictates of their hearts and the heeding the call of their consciences. So here's where the butterfly effect comes in. You know what I mean by butterfly effect? I, it's a fairly common notion. But here's what it is. It's the scientific theory that the tiniest variation in initial conditions has the potential to alter much larger systems that affect us all. In other words, a seemingly insignificant event can have dramatic consequences on a very large scale. In a way, it's like you know when you toss the proverbial pebble into the pool and, and the ripples expand and expand. Well, it was a guy named Edward Lorenz, he's a, he's a meteorologist, a, a weather scientist, who brought the, uh, to, uh, this phenomenon to the attention of, of at least the scientific world in a speech that he gave to the American Association for the Advancement of Science in 1972. Well, that speech was entitled, Can a Butterfly Flapping Its Wings in Brazil Cause a Tornado in Texas? This butterfly effect is really now kind of part and parcel of uh, the chaos theory that is, has, 
holds a fairly firm sway in the scientific community. There was also a movie by that name uh, with Ashton Kutcher, but I'm not going to talk about that this morning. The butterfly effect. A guy named Andy Andrews wrote a, a little book called The Butterfly Effect in which he, he catalogs the most ex- the extraordinary impact of simple and courageous acts. And he says that except maybe if you look really carefully back in time, you can't really tell which efforts made the biggest difference. For example, and this is the example that he uses in his book, Norman Borlaug, how many of you know that name? Probably not very many. In fact, no one at all. Norman Borlaug was uh, the one who developed uh, high-yield, disease-resistant strains of corn and wheat that, were credited, that have been credited with saving literally two billion lives around the world during times of famine. Not an insignificant accomplishment. So do we give him all the credit, or should the credit be Henry Wallace? He was the one-term vice president who created an office in New Mexico to develop hybrid seed for arid climates and hired Borlaug to run it. Or should we credit George Washington Carver, who took young Henry Wallace for long walks and instilled in him his love of plants? Or... Should it be Sharon and Moses Carver uh, who adopted the orphaned uh, George Borlaug as their son? Or should it be? Well, you get the idea. Andrews points out how interconnected our actions are, creating an unforeseen butterfly effect that can ripple across time and space to affect the lives of millions. Who knows? Maybe one of you is a school teacher, and I know school starts very, very soon now, who will give encouragement to a student to see something within herself that she's never been able to see before, and she in turn will befriend another uh, student who was on the verge of giving up on life. Or maybe a young person hearing this sermon will stand up to the neighborhood bully and not only help the kids that are being bullied, but also the bully um, himself, who I'm assuming it's a him, it could be a her, um, because that bully had never had anyone you know, care enough to even stand up to him. And, and so maybe that bully in turn will go on to be change life and, and, and be a police officer who protects the vulnerable. Or maybe one of you will be moved to volunteer to read to kids in the local library, and one of those kids will discover such a, a passion for, for language and will grow up to be the poet laureate. Or maybe something you say will shape the career choices of someone, and they will go on to discover, it, you see where this all goes. Or maybe, or maybe... The things we do this week, our actions, our choices, our decisions, will in fact result in consequences that may be foreseen or they may be unforeseen for good or for ill, for the health or the damage of the world. And the question isn't whether, but what. What will we do this week to make a difference in the world?
Some of those actions may be big and bold and courageous and others may be small and hardly noticeable and yet they all have the potential to to ripple out, affecting countless lives. In today's reading, it is Shifra and Puah. Standing up to a a powerful tyrant, a, a bully, who knows whom it will be today, this week, this year, The Apostle Paul, in that second reading that Melinda read, says that we are all members of the body of Christ, and each one of us has different gifts, yet we're all one in faith, and we have the same potential for God to use us to change the world. Today's gospel text chronicles the fact that Peter, you know, he was a simple fisherman in in a remote corner of the Middle East in, in ancient times, and Yet he helped begin that ball rolling that has resulted in the worldwide universal Christian church. Such things happen in the kingdom of God. So what would you do if I told you that this week you will change the world? My hope is that you will gain a new perspective on who you are, that you will develop a keen appreciation for the potential impact in each one of us, that kind of power. And when you spend those five minutes um, listening to God, you will act on what you hear, whether that is audible or not. And that you will live your life knowing that your choices impact many, many people. You may get to see the results, or probably more often, you won't get to observe the long-range effect that you're having. I do doubt that Shifra and Pua uh, got to live to see Moses part the Red Sea. They didn't know who this helpless infant was going to grow up to be. Yet, they helped to set the stage for um, one of the greatest dramas in the history of our faith. And they can teach us that God indeed speaks through our consciences, speaks through our hearts, and the simple choices that we make indeed can change the world. You were created to make a difference. What you do this week matters forever. Amen. Let us pray. O great director and choreographer of our human drama, we pray for the grace and courage to make choices and to take actions that are prompted by your spirit, that the impact we have on this world would be for good and not for ill, Give us a humble respect for who you have created us to be, for justice and for peace. For Jesus' sake, amen.